Thank you very much. How are we all doing? Fantastic. Good to be with you guys. I have been here a couple of times before, and every time I'm here, I love being here. I love the way that your community goes after God's presence and worship, the way that you engage what he's doing uh, in this place. But I love that it's not just contained to the space, because that would be for naught, right? I love the way that you guys actually go out and the emphasis to serve others and bless your community. It's a wonderful thing that, that God is doing here, and we are so proud to, to be a part of really this family, this network of churches uh, throughout Orange County. Uh, I have a new uh, found reason for why I like to be here. I found this out um, after a morning service. I don't know if you guys know this or not. You might already, but if you didn't, you're going to know now. Did you know there's a celebrity in your midst? Did you know that? You didn't. Okay, so Jody, who just did announcements, I found out that she had some guest appearances on my all-time favorite show of all time. I just said the same thing three times. It's my favorite show ever, uh, Saved by the Bell. Any Saved by the Fa- Bell fans out there? Can I get a little bit of yeah, right? Awesome. Uh, she came on, and she was a Screech's girlfriend for a while, which how incredible is that? That's amazing. So you're, if you're out there and you're feeling a little screechous and wondering, you know, if I'm ever going to find that lady, there's hope for you, right? Because even Screech found a girlfriend. It's an amazing thing. And she was on some other stuff, too. So she said that she'll be on the patio doing autographs and uh, signing <laughs> afterwards. So make sure that you get uh, meet her. Um, so love being with you guys. Here we are. It's Memorial Day weekend. Welcome to Memorial Day weekend at the Huntington Beach Library, right? No other place we'd rather be. This is awesome. Glad that you guys are here with us. When I think about Memorial Day... I think a little bit about what the video just showed, right? For some of us, it's a time of, of memory and reflection and even have a personal connection for somebody who perhaps has given their life and service for our country, and it's, it's a heavy thing. But also, it's a, it's a time to celebrate because Memorial Day really is sort of the unofficial start for summer, right? And we know that it's summertime. Actually, it's kind of always summertime in Southern California, let's be real. But another indicator for summertime is this Memorial Day, which means the summer movies are beginning to roll out. Right? Has anybody seen the new Godzilla movie yet? Yay or nay? What do we think? Okay. All right. Maybe I'll see that this week. We'll see how that goes. Um, it was good enough? It was yay. It was yay. Okay, good. Fantastic. A giant dinosaur destroys the world. Yes, two thumbs up. Um, so thinking about the, the movies, and I would love to play a little game with you guys here talking about movies here. So this game is called Old or New. So what we're going to do is put up a few different movie posters, and you're going to vote on which movie was better, because these are remake movies. You're going to say either the old or the new. So let's practice first. Let's say together old. old. Let's say new. new. Okay, here we go. All right, here is the first one. Get ready to vote. The Pink Panther, awesome movie. I love them all. There's the 1964 version or the 2006 Steve Martin version. What do you guys think, old or new? Both. Yeah, good answer. (laughs) They're both great, right? That's not according to the rules. We'll keep an eye on you because you're bending the rules a bit, but that's fine. Um, Number two, Planet of the Apes. Here we go. We've got Charlton Heston and Mark Wahlberg. Who played it better, old or new? Wow. We got some both mixture. I think, again, the old one is overwhelming on that one. I, I think they're both pretty good. Monkeys taking over the world. I'm up for that anytime. Sounds like a great movie. Um, here's the, the next one. We've got Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or, Ch- or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a name change here. 1971 versus 2005. Old or new? 
Wow, overwhelmingly old on that one. I'll tell you what, I go for neither. I love the movie, but my daughter, who's five years old, will never be allowed to see this movie because of all the crazy, creepy stuff are in there. You know the old one where they go into the tunnel and they have like this acid trip kind of situation? Really strange. I made the mistake of seeing the new one, and I bought a ticket, which was $25, which seemed kind of high. I didn't quite understand that. Turned out I had bought the ticket to the IMAX 3D with a giant screen thing, so Johnny Depp as a Willy Wonka, that was terrifying. It was really not a very good experience. All right, and here's the last one. We've got 1984 Footloose versus 2011 Footloose. Survey says? Old. Old, all right. And survey for me says neither again because there's dancing involved in this movie from what I hear. And um, I can't dance. I'm a big guy. My head can go, but the rest of me doesn't go very well. So if I watch this with my wife, she gets the idea that we should dance, which is never a good idea for anybody. So I, I stay away from those movies. So what are some, you can tell? We can, we can teach. All right. We got time. You guys want to learn how to dance instead of do the thing? I'm down with that. <laughs> um, but what are some other things, other examples of where the old something of this, the old version is better than the new. This is your chance to shout and be loud. For the rest of the message, I'm going to ask that you remain silent. But what, what do we got? The Bible. The old Bible is better than the new Bible? Oh, oh the translation. Oh, I got it. I, didn't, I thought I missed the boat on this new Bible. I under, yeah, I understand. Yeah, good. I love that. That's good. What else? Old versus new. What? Family life? Yeah, yeah, that's what I hear. Um, <laughs> what, what, wine? Wives? Old wives are better than new wives? <laughs> Holy moly! I gotta say, in my list of suggested responses, that did not make the list, but... That's good, yeah, I like, I like that. Old wives better than new wives, yeah, I can see that. What else? Wine, wait, wine? Ooh, you guys drink wine at the Huntington Beach campus? No, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, wine. Cars? Absolutely, as long as it's got a battery and it's got an engine. Anything else? One more final? Education. Education and what? Old life, new Old life versus new life. That's fantastic. Old education? How do you mean? It was better. It was better. Education was better. But isn't that true? When we think about old versus new, old wife, new wife, um, <laughs> sorry to pick on you there, but often we can have sort of this emotional attachment to the old thing, can't we? Where we think the old way was so much better and, and we develop a routine or a tradition or a habit around an old way of life or an old, old thing that we were attached to that actually makes it hard for us accepting or entering into a new thing. And we've seen this on display throughout the series that we've been in in Luke. And I love that you guys are right in the same passage as we are. We saw this on display perfectly last week when uh, Caleb talked about uh, Matthew and Levi. And Jesus meets this guy, Matthew slash Levi, this tax collector person, right? This person who was despised. He was an enemy. He was a traitor. He was almost like a terrorist. Nobody wanted to hang around with this person. And Jesus sees him, identifies him, and says, look, Levi, I believe that you can be like me. I see something in you that you could become like me. So come with me and follow me. And the next thing they do is they go to a party, and the passage tells us that at this party there were notorious sinners, not just sinners, notorious sinners. And not just that, there was this different category. So we got notorious sinners, and there was also scum or scum of the earth that was hanging out at this party. 
And then the Pharisees get wind of this, right? They see what's going on. And they begin to get frustrated and angry with Jesus. And they say, you know, you can't, you can't do that that way. That's not the way that this is supposed to go. And Jesus says, no, I'm bringing a new thing, a new message of my kingdom, which is rooted in grace and freedom, which is incredible. And we're all here because of that. But if you're a Pharisee in that moment, I kind of think about, you know, if you ever discover that sort of um, hidden restaurant that nobody has quite found yet. Have you ever had that experience before? I love Huntington Beach because you guys have a Chili's. We don't have one in Costa Mesa, so chips and queso all day long. So I'm not talking about the chain restaurants, but I'm talking about that hidden sort of restaurant that nobody's found yet. And it becomes your secret little spot. And then before you know it, word spreads on Yelp and people are starting to line up. And you go back in a couple of months and, and there's this like 25-minute wait and there's nowhere to sit and there's people all over the place. And you think, what happened to my place? The Pharisees were thinking this. You know, we've got a good thing going here. We've got this exclusive, self-righteous, moralistic living club where you're measured by your effort and how holy you can be. And Jesus comes and says, the club is open. And those rules, those traditions, that's not the way that you get in anymore. The way you get in is by belief and trust in me. So I want to pick up here in the Gospel of Luke, looking at Luke 5, verses 33, this next dialogue that Jesus begins to have, which sets up the next several chapters throughout Luke, pinning himself up against the Pharisees and their way in thinking. He says this in Luke 5, 33. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of our guys, the Pharisees. But why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Which group sounds more fun to you, if we're just to take a survey there? <laughs> Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from then, and then they will fast. So what we have right here is a little bit of a holiness showdown. The Pharisees pinning themselves up against Jesus. They say, look, here's what we do. We fast, we pray regularly. And for them, that meant uh, uh, putting themselves in some sort of a public humiliation so people would actually see that they fast. It's, it's, it's declining their desires, emptying themselves of what they would want for, for something else, for something that God would bring. And that's a great thing, right? It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to fast. And many of us, we did that over the Lent season. It's obviously, it's a good thing, good thing to pray. But they're saying, look, we're, we're awesome at this. And not only are we awesome, we're like super awesome because the law of Moses would have taught these guys there's only one day a year where you're required to fast. And we find out later in Matthew that they actually did this two times a week. So they're like super on it. They've got it down. And then they reference John the Baptist's disciples who were fasting in this form of repentance and humiliation and longing for the Messiah, little giveaway, Jesus, to come and be with them. And they say, your disciples don't do that. They just eat and drink and, and go to parties. So Jesus, what's up with that? And I love Jesus' response as he says, it's party time, basically, is what he says. Would you go to a party there and, and not celebrate? He says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, because they're there in the middle. And in the same way, everything you fasted for, everything you've prayed for and longed for, it's here now in your presence. It's me, the Messiah. Everything that you've waited for is here. 
It's not time to fast and mourn. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. You know what he's actually saying to them is don't be a party pooper. Every party has a party pooper, right? Isn't there a song that goes like that? And that's why we invited you or something that I make that up or something like that. We know what that's like, right? To be around a party pooper or maybe to be the party pooper. I think of sort of those uh, office parties, right, where maybe it's somebody's birthday and, and somebody decided to go get a bunch of cupcakes from Sprinkles or whatever, and, you know, you surprise the person and it's cupcake time. There's always that one guy. Don't be this guy. There's always that one guy that says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm trying to watch my figure a little bit. and no, no cupcakes for me. I'll just have the celery and the carrots. And that's a sensible decision, right? But when it's party time, like, let's, let's go for it. I have a vivid memory about this. Um, I'm going to share something vulnerable with you. You can pray for me later because I haven't gotten over this yet. Uh, I'll never forget my, my 10-year-old birthday party. Invited over all my best friends uh, to come and celebrate together. And I actually came down with a horrendous flu that day, and I couldn't go and celebrate. So they would go. They went out to golf land or boomers and did the whole thing. And then I couldn't go with them. I sat at home in my room sick the whole time. And not only that, this is horrible. They, they came to my house after that and started playing basketball in my backyard with, like, my basketball stuff. And then they went into my living room and played my Nintendo and Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers and all that stuff. And I remember looking at that and seeing, what's wrong with these people? They should be up here ministering to me or, or offering me encouragement and, and making sure I'm okay. But here they are. They are partying and doing whatever they want to do. In the same way, that was the attitude of the Pharisees. Look at these guys. They're just eating and drinking and carrying on and hanging out with sinners. And, and they're not even doing the stuff. I mean, we fast two times a week. Like, that's pretty, pretty darn good. And these guys are like overeating and partying. Like, Jesus, what is up with that? And Jesus says, don't be a party pooper. There's no reason to fast for what's already among you. Enter into celebration. Enter into the party that I am bringing through my new life. Is Jesus against fasting and praying? What do we think? Take a survey. No, obviously, he's not against fasting and praying. But he seems to be against the manner by which the Pharisees engage in this activity. He seems to be against the, the motives behind it. Fasting, praying, all those things, they are good things, but they don't make us good. Those things, they are expressions of worship, but they are not the object of our worship. I love what he says, Jesus, here in Luke 18. And remember, we're going through Luke, so we'll be at Luke 18 somewhere in the year 2020. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be awesome. Um, he says this in Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. And he would have prayed it with arms extended as you were to do in the temple as a Pharisee. He says, I thank God that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I do not commit adultery, I don't smoke, chew, or go with those who do. That's what my mom used to say. I am certainly not like this despised little tax collector over here. For I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. And God, I know that you don't need me, but you are sure lucky to have me. Because look how holy, look how righteous I am. 
Look at all the rules I follow. I actually go above the rules. I fast two times a week. Who does that? This guy. You don't need me, but you're sure lucky to have me. And I'm not like these people over here, these unclean sinners, these despised ones. Jesus is most certainly against that form of prayer. He's most certainly against that form of worship. One that pits us up against others. One that casts judgment on others. One that we use as a method to become good. Those things are good. They do not make us good. Those things are expressions of worship, but they are not objects of worship. I love the prophet Amos in in Amos 5. He talks about this and and gives us the word of the Lord here for the people of Israel who were in this time of really extreme wealth where they had just finished building the temple. Um, They were doing all these grain offering sacrifice things and, and just going above and beyond all of these things. And this is what the voice of the Lord says through Amos in Amos 5. He says, I hate all your show and all your pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with the noise of your hymns. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps or your electric guitars. I added that bit. Instead... I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. God sits back and he looks at his people in this time, built the temple, giving of themselves, doing all the right things. And you know what he does? Good job, guys. You really nailed that worship set. Good job for you. Three out of four weeks, you're here. Awesome. You're giving, doing, doing all good things. But you know what it sounds like to me? This is going to be offensive. Ready? It sounds like noise. Because there's no lifestyle of worship that's attached to it. Meeting together is important. Worshiping together is supremely important. Giving of ourselves, our time, our talent, our energy, supremely important. But if it's not attached to a lifestyle that seeks out justice, if it's not attached to a lifestyle that seeks to minister to the poor, the marginalized, the lost, and the broken, then all it is to our Father's ears is a bunch of noise. And he says, away with the noise of your songs. Away with the noise of your songs. And the reality is, is that this sort of self-righteous, moralistic living wasn't just talked about in the Old Testament. It's not just in the New Testament, but it's very much alive and well and on display today. I know this because it's very much alive and on display in my own heart. You're looking at sort of the, the older brother of the prodigal son right here. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son. The younger one goes out and squanders all of his father's wealth, lives a life of just sin and debauchery. And the, the, the older son sits and, and he's diligent and he's obedient and he stays home and he does the right stuff. And when the younger son returns, the father is, is so enthusiastic that he throws him a party. And the older brother becomes critical, saying, where's my party? Like, I didn't go and do that stuff. I didn't go and squander my life away in sin. You know, for me, I Christian educated, Christian school, K through 16. So that means I didn't do four years of high school. That might have been a good idea. Um, that's actually the four years of college af- after that as well. 
So Christian educated the the whole way. Uh, Christian college went into to full-time vocational ministry, whatever that means, at the age of 18. Was married at the age of 21. Actually, 20. I say 21 because that sounds less crazy. I was married at the age of 20. You know, lived this life of purity all the way up. And, and, and you know, slowly along the way, I began to develop this attitude where I would look at God and say, God, like, I know you don't need me, but man, you are sure lucky to have me. And... <laughs> And the package you put all this in, I mean, come on. Good job on that. Like, way to select me. And you know, by the way, since I'm being so good, I need you to be good for me. And I need you to give me what I want. You know, I I led a life of purity and got married at a young age. And marriage is supposed to be awesome now and, and have no problems. And guess what? There's problems. And it's not always easy. And I could find myself in those situations being angry at God and saying, look, you you went back on your deal. Like, I'm living this if-then religious lifestyle. That seems to work out because I can control that. I can measure that. I know the if of what I'm supposed to do, and I'm nailing it. But where's the then? Where's the blessing? Why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? Why am I isolated? Why is this not working? I saw this on display with one of my closest friends. We went to a Christian conference together, a week-long conference together, and there was, a, there was a preacher who was up there, and he was talking about giving and doing some very interesting things with the scripture, which you probably shouldn't do, and talking about this hundredfold return. So he was saying, God wants to bless you financially, and here's the deal. For everything that you give, God is going to give back to you 100%, pressed down, shaken together, rolling over into your bosom, all that kind of stuff. It says bosom in the Bible somewhere. It's pretty hilarious. And my friend bought into this sort of methodic way of giving. And, you know, he didn't have iPhones and stuff back then, but he had this little note paper, and, and so he would sit there every time the offering plate was passed around, and he would say, okay, $5 times 100 equals $500. God, you owe me that. All right, $20 times 100 equals, what is that? Does anybody go to math? $2,000. So we're up to $2,500. God, you owe me that. And so then the weeks would go by, and that money didn't come in. Months go by, and that money doesn't come in. He gives all this stuff, and God doesn't do what he's supposed to do, right? A year goes by, and he ends up completely walking away from his faith and hasn't returned since because he bought into this mechanical, if-then, works-based version of the gospel, which is no gospel at all. The gospel is not dependent upon how good we can be. The gospel is dependent upon God's glory and how good he makes us. He looks at us. He calls us good. He gives us his son. He creates us in his own image. He does all the heavy lifting for us. He sends his son to die on a cross. And all he says then is enter into it. Freely accept this gift. It's not of your own works that any man should boast, but I give it freely unto you. Freely he gives it unto us. So we do not live to gain the approval of God, but we live out of a response to the approval that God has already placed on us. And do we do stuff? Do we worship? Do we fast? Do we pray? Absolutely we engage in those things. Those are important disciplines. But again, Those are good things. They do not make us good. I love what Dallas Willard says about this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. 
but it is opposed to the earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to the earning. As soon as we begin to put ourselves in that if-then category of, God, I've done this, you owe this to me, we're setting ourselves up for frustration. We're setting ourselves up for pain. Jesus goes on to further illustrate his point back in Luke 5, looking at verse 36. It says, then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment, for the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Jesus is saying, look, I'm bringing a new thing, a new way. And this new salvation that comes through the kingdom, it's not that it completely does away with the old, but it actually fulfills the old. Because both point towards the same thing, right standing with God. But there's only one way to actually get there. And the old system of moralistic living, a religious life, will not get you there anymore. He says, I'm bringing you something that is far greater than you could earn in your own effort. It's like trying to pour new wine into old wineskins because the old wineskins will just burst. They can't even contain it anymore. What I want to pour out into you won't fit in your old systems of belief. It won't fit in your old habits or behavior. It's so much greater than what we can structure, than what we can control. Our job is to accept. Our job first is really to release what we're holding on and then to accept and walk into the freeness that Jesus gives us instead of using Jesus as sort of like a Jesus patch for our old garment. Take the new, cover it up a little bit, and maybe no one will tell. When actually we end up ruining the new and the old, they don't new, they don't graft together, so we ruin the old thing too. Jesus is so much more than a patch. He's so much more than a little tune-up. He gives us a whole new life. Uh, if you've ever seen this blog, it's called the, the There I Fixed It blog. Really illustrates this point. This is awesome. Of, of when we try to fix things and, and sort of create things to, to, to make them better. There's this first picture here I love, which is very timely for Memorial Day barbecue season. Look at this guy. Barbecue grill broke, no problem. Grab a shopping cart, throw some steaks on there, we're good to go, right? There, I fixed it. What about this one here? So your Bluetooth thing broke at work, speakerphone. Just throw that iPhone over your head, you're good to go. Or here's another great one here. Don't have a toilet handy? No problem, right? Grab a cone, turn that bad boy upside down, and you're good to go. Everything's fixed there. I fixed it. Silly, but we, we do that, don't we? I do that. Am I relit my life with, with, with Christ? Using him as a patch, using him as just a little tune-up to just sort of blend it in with these old ways, hoping that nobody will notice. Just taking a little bit of religion, taking a little bit of the good I think he offers me, but keeping my old habits, my old routines, and my own rituals, and those things do not blend together. And I know for me, the reason that I do that is often because I think God is actually withholding something from me that he can't really be trusted, that I can't fully enter into the new thing because it's unknown and the old is familiar. Even though there's pain here, sometimes the familiar of the old is better than the, the unfamiliarity of the new. And God is saying, look, trust me. I bring so, something so much bigger to you, something that can't even 
you can't even contain it. It's like trying to put a VHS player into your Blu-ray or your DVD player, right? Like it just doesn't work. And see, both of those things, they both have the same outcome, to show a picture and watch a movie, whatever it is. But actually only one will do that in a full way. Only one can do that in a new way. I also get this picture, I think, of a, a taxidermist and a veterinarian. So a taxidermist will take something once it's dead. Let's call it a sick puppy. Sorry, guys, that's, that's horrible, right? We'll take that animal and we'll, we'll stuff it, you know, give it a shampoo and, and make it look really, really pretty and put it off in the corner somewhere. And it has all the appearance of life, but actually it's sitting in a corner collecting dust. But there's no movement. It looks nice and pretty, but there's no life. First is a veterinarian. He will take sick and dying things and breathe new life into them. That's what Jesus offers us. He doesn't offer us just the appearance of life, just the appearance of happiness. He offers us the real deal. Went to Starbucks this morning, as you do, and uh, got my $7 latte. My Lord, but I always feel a little bit better about it because they give you these awesome quotes on there, right? And so I always make sure to get the sleeve because you never know what's going to be on there. And this morning I thought, wow, this is pretty appropriate for what we're talking about today. It says, uh, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. That sounds awesome, right? I mean, that sounds good. I mean, isn't that the sort of the message of our culture? Like you can be whatever you want to be. You can have your best, fullest life right now. And all you really need to do for that is to have courage and to, to go and grab and get and, and be strong and earn and strive. And, and it's all within your strength to go and do these things. That's the message of our culture. But guess what? It's not the message of Jesus. It's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not this if-then but it's actually live as if you already are. Because you are, because I see you as my child, because I've given you my love. There's no amount of earning that you can do to, to ever get that. It's freely given. I love how the message translation captures this thought. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Listen to this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the message of the gospel to live a life of freedom, to live a life of salvation. So where are you in that message? Where do you find yourself today? Perhaps it's going through the routine of, of religion and it's the ritualistic type of living and just maintaining and taking a little bit of what Jesus can offer and trying to blend it with the past. And you might find yourself in a place of frustration and pain and loneliness, still feeling there's an emptiness there. Or maybe you haven't even tried this whole Jesus thing yet. And for you, the past is just the old life and living a life free, completely free of who Jesus is. And the solution, guys, to both of those things, it's the gospel of Jesus. 
It's the grace that he offers us. Not an earning, not a striving, but entering into what he's given to us. What I'd love for us to do in these next few moments is as we worship, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to show us those things that that need to be released and to show us what freedom could look like for us as we surrender again to him today. Let's stand as we worship as response.